It's Jared. Every time I watch a sci-fi movie of some kind or read some sort of sci-fi novel, I always have a thought that's kind of in the back of my head, which is how real is this, right? Certain things seem so outlandish and so far out there that you can clearly say, well, this is just fiction, right? There's really no possibility of this ever being a reality. And then there's other films that are so close to reality that that makes them all that much more intense. Some films that come to mind like this that I watched recently, uh, Ex Machina, for instance, or The Terminator, probably most famously, because they deal with subjects that are really close to coming into the market, right? In Ex Machina, it's self-learning AI, which is kind of already here. In The Terminator, it's warlike robots, which there's disputed reports may or may not exist from the military. And that thought makes those movies seem not too far off. And the reason I'm talking about all of this is because for today's episode, we're going to be dealing with a subject that I first got introduced to through a sci-fi movie. And that movie is Gattaca, which is a 90s film with Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman, and I think it's directed by Danny DeVito, that discusses the implications of gene editing and in the movie we basically have these two sets of brothers one that's been genetically modified to be superior physically and the other one who's not and the plot doesn't entirely matter but it's the whole idea that we could customize our genes to turn into the ideal specimen now in the real world uh this is known or kind of got introduced to the public discussion as crispr and i won't get too much into what crispr is but it basically allows select gene editing, and there's a whole bunch of scientific and moral questions that accompany it. So to break it all down, I sit down with Katie Mead, who is the youth governor of Missouri for all the youth and government kids out there, but she also is someone who's worked extensively both scientifically and legislatively with CRISPR. So if you're interested in biomedical ethics um, or simply what the future could be for does quote unquote designer babies stay tuned? Hi, Katie. Hey there. How's it going? Going pretty good. How are you? Good, good. I'm really excited. One, to get contested back up and going. I know for our listeners, it's been a few weeks since we released a new episode. So I'm really excited for that. But I'm also excited we kick it off with something like CRISPR, which I think for many people seemed like a science fiction topic probably just a few years ago, right? I remember watching the movie Gattaca and I'm like, oh man, this ain't never going to happen. And uh, look where we are now. So could you just provide a brief introduction of who you are and kind of how you're involved with CRISPR? Yeah, for sure. So my name is Katie Mead. I live in Missouri and I'm currently the youth governor and I participated in the Conference on National Affairs this year with also my proposal dealing with legalizing CRISPR and encouraging it through germline editing. I go to a biomedical high school for half of my day and that's where I was first introduced. I did a lab where I changed yeast cells from white to pink and that kind of started my fuel with it. And then for my independent project at the end of the year, I decided to CRISPR cystic fibrosis. So I CRISPRed the genome malfunction out of them. Awesome. That sounds like really, really cool stuff. Me and Adam, I think, are both not really STEM kids, so I'm really excited to see and kind of hear about stuff that I'm like, wow, really interesting. So just kind of on a basic level, what is CRISPR and 
how does the technology work behind that, right? I think a lot of people have heard it like, oh, it's that gene editing thing. But in a more like boiled down scientific way, what is CRISPR? CRISPR in short term is basically like a surgical knife that can identify a specific gene and change that. It uses a CRISPR-Cas9 system. The best analogy I have is like a GPS in a car. The Cas9 is the GPS and the CRISPR is the car. You have to be able to get there to be able to modify. So it uses that to identify a specific gene and it works a lot better than other types of gene editing specifically because it can target a specific gene. Awesome. Just to rephrase, you go from a Cas9, which finds the defective, we wouldn't want to use that word, and I guess we'll get more into that later, gene, and then CRISPR can splice that out and replace it with another one. Yeah, it basically fixes it to what it should be. Awesome, awesome. And then as far as how CRISPR has kind of entered widespread usage in the market here, right, as I think I was mentioning, Gattaca came out in the 90s, and this was like, whoa, pure science fiction. But now we're starting to see at-home testing kits, right, basically CRISPR yourself. So how did we kind of get there, and what is like the current status of Real CRISPR versus kind of like these take-home kits? Yeah, so for the take-home kits, I think those are more directed at specific cell CRISPRing. So I know in Nashville, there is a study currently being done where Vortex and Therapeutics have begun infusing billions of CRISPR-edited cells into sickle cell patients. So that's more of the minimal side of it, cancer patients and that sort of thing. And then on a large scale, there have been other countries who have been successful, like China had a study where they succeeded 16 out of 18 tries with a single DNA letter. And I feel like that on the larger scale is very doable and very accessible right now. So yeah, you can go from everything from changing just one sickle cell, basically, all the way to editing a decent portion of DNA. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome. So now that we kind of have at least a somewhat general scientific understanding, I think I really wanted to discuss the ethical implications. As I mentioned, I'm not really much of a STEM kid. So I think the policy side and the ethical questions are really at the heart of this debate. So starting off with the status quo, is there any sort of legislation either in the US or worldwide that has started to tackle where CRISPR can be used and where CRISPR can't be used? And I guess the the other part of that is how is the various uses of CRISPR dealt with differently from an ethical perspective? On a national level, the United States and the FDA, like Food and Drug Administration, have completely put out a ban for germline editing. So in the United States, it can't even be done at all. And then the World Health Organization actually pushed out a statement about two years ago saying that they did not encourage any countries to try germline editing anymore, especially after China was successful. Looking at like the case I referenced earlier about Vortex and therapeutics, when that began to work, they could not be reached for comment on it. So it's just kind of like a very vague statement, I feel. That's fair. And just quickly, could you define what germline editing is? Yeah, for sure. So that would be more of like the chemical composition of a person's germ, like genes. Okay, so that would be editing the full gene, I guess, in the abstract sense. But I do know, at least from what I've read briefly, and you probably know better than I here, there is the longstanding hereditary editing, and then there's just individual editing. I have seen that like, oh, if you have, say, diabetes, right, you can edit that in that individual person, and that won't affect the hereditary line going forward. But there is editing that would affect generations down. Is that correct? Or am I, am I wrong on that? Yeah, I think it fully depends on how researched the scientist is when they were to do it and how, how specific they were in getting the germline CRISPR to work. 
because most of the time CRISPR won't work at all if, like let's say it hits the wrong gene, it won't work at all because it's designed to go to a different gene. So it usually won't work at all, if that makes any sense. So yeah, if they miss, there's like no harm. Yeah, uh, for sure. Okay, awesome. So now I think diving even a little bit deeper here, where do most scientists, including yourself as an aspiring scientist, think the line should be drawn? Me and Adam were talking and we were kind of admitting, okay, certain genetic diseases seem like a pretty easy one, right? You were talking about cystic fibrosis, right? No one is really advocating to keep cystic fibrosis around if we can kind of deal with that before it even becomes a problem. But there then becomes this gray line and I think the first place we'll touch on that is kind of what even is a disability that CRISPR would want to tackle, right? I had mentioned colorblindness and dwarfism as two kind of examples of something in that gray area, right? How much is it a true disability versus simply an abnormality, right? Something that we would consider out of the standard person, whatever you would want to consider that in the U.S. Where is kind of the ethical line, at least in your opinion, between something like cystic fibrosis, which might be a little bit more simple, and then some of those ones that are in the gray area? For me, I think that the line should be drawn past chemical composition. We see diseases like sickle cell anemia, cystic fibrosis, TASOX, stuff like that, where there is no physical disability that comes with it. It's all chemical composition, and in turn, that limits someone's life and limits their quality of life purely because. So if we can fully fix that by just looking at the chemical composition, I think that is such a good thing. But looking at things like dwarfism or colorblindness, like you said, I just, I don't know where that would stand on the disability line because it's not, it's not ruining a quality of life. I think that's what I think a lot of people come to the conclusion of, which is you can very much live a very happy and pleasant life with something like that. And I think I would say, even going one more step here, I suppose, I think a really, really tough one to answer is Down syndrome. And I'm going to credit Adam with doing the research on this one. But in 2011, Brian Skotko, a Harvard-trained physician and researcher, published a groundbreaking survey titled Self-Perceptions from People with Down Syndrome. And it revealed that people with Down syndrome actually have higher levels of happiness and life satisfaction compared to the average American. However, contrast that with the stat that 67% of fetuses with Down syndrome are terminated before birth in the United States, according to the National Down Syndrome Society. So kind of squaring that, and let's assume that the 67% of people that would be terminated instead use CRISPR to get rid of Down syndrome in some way. How is the moral and ethical line there, in your opinion, considering kind of those two different stats? For me, I think that the line should be drawn way ahead of um, Down syndrome. I feel like that is more than a genetic disorder, and it's more of a physical and definitely a uniqueness in a a person-to-person basis. So that is more than I think CRISPR should be able to do, and that is way beyond the ethics and morals of the United States and how we should handle genetic diseases and disorders such as those. So you were saying don't touch, unless it's really just strictly something that doesn't affect the outside appearance or disability, just something that is, as you said, purely a genetic disorder alone, that's kind of where we should draw the line. Like the uniqueness of the human race is so grand that I feel like if we were to allow Down syndrome and other diseases and genetic problems such as those, then we're saying that we can pretty much make designer babies if we would allow, like if we would allow ourselves to. And Hmm. um, I feel like starting there would just be in downhill spiral into later things like that. 
So it's kind of a slippery slope, right? And I think we yeah. can maybe move on. So the term designer babies has really come into the kind of lexicon in the past few years as CRISPR has kind of grown. But what is a quote unquote designer babies? And I think this is something that a lot of people are skeptical of. What is wrong with designer babies to state the obvious, I suppose? So designer babies are germline edited fetuses that are picture perfect, whatever hair color, whatever eye color, personality traits even, like that sort of thing. And they are fully designed to the want of the parents. So if we look at that, we're kind of going into an area where the uniqueness, like I mentioned, in the human race will be very, very limited to a certain ideal genes that the parents would want for their child. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that could even propagate a lot of arguments, and not to detail too far from the conversation here, but a lot of arguments concerning things like race and just a lot of kind of immutable characteristics really kind of rely or have been disproven because a lot of people say, oh, there's genetic difference. And we're like, no, not really. However, if we were to create designer babies that are either superior in strength and things like that, or simply created to look like, I would assume, an Aryan, you know, ideal kind of baby that would grow into like this ideal looking human, would you think that would kind of propagate a lot of things like racism, sexism, things like that? I think if anything, they would draw them out more because if we're looking at like an ideal human, I feel like that could be taken very, very far. And like I said, the difference in all the humans will just kind of minimize. And I feel like that'll draw out the class systems, the race problems and stuff like that, socialist problems. Fair enough. Yeah. How would you, as someone who kind of has worked really hard on a proposal and policy for something like this, how would you recommend that the government deals with this, right? Do they just create a list of certain diseases that are okay to edit? Because I feel like chemical composition is kind of can be like misconstrued in a lot of different ways, right? A lot of diseases have some sort of chemical composition to them, you know, that we might say, oh, that's probably not something we would want to edit. So as someone who has kind of done a bunch of research on this, what would you recommend to policymakers as kind of a good definitive legal line to draw? I know that private and public labs who work on with CRISPR, they both have to get approved through an institutional review board before they can do anything. So like for clinical trials or whatever, and obviously clinical trials are the first step that uh, the United States needs to take because we can't really set regulations if it's not gonna work and we don't have anything to set regulations on, if that makes any sense. So with that, there would definitely need to be regulations in place, but I'm not really sure how soon we can do that since there is nothing to set regulations on currently. That's fair. So rely on the scientists themselves and review boards before kind of moving forward and moving forward deliberately, it sounds like. So the FDA would need to make regulations at some point if clinical trials were found to be successful. And clinical trials, like I said, they have to go through those institutional review boards. So those boards would have to have in mind what is ethically okay and what is ethically not okay. So looking at like if there was a trial just to change eye color hopefully that would get not approved. So that way that slippery slope does not lead any further than it can. Yeah, sounds good. One of the last questions that we'll take hopping off this is, as you said right now, the FDA has a full ban on CRISPR. And I think that's in part because they didn't really know where to draw the line. So they said, until we know further, just let's not mess with this. And it seems like your position is, no, there's an area where in the middle between an outright ban and an unbridled CRISPR yourself, whatever way you see fit. In the interim, 
Do you think it's smart to keep an outright ban until we know more? Or should we continue to open up things more and more? Personally, I think we should start clinical trials and start opening those things up. The United States has used the same technology when it comes to genetic diseases as they have 30 years ago. And we continue to do research on vaping, on mental illness, on cancer research, stem cell. The list keeps going on and on, but genetic diseases are not included in that. So I feel like to make an effort, we have to try things that we normally wouldn't and start taking risks. And um, other countries have already started trials. So I think the United States is just being ignorant towards the fact that they have not. In that case, I just think that the United States has to at least try because in the worst thing that can happen is that it doesn't work at all. And then clinical trials are canceled and we keep the ban. But the least thing we can do is at least try it, in my opinion. That's fair. I guess you don't know until you try on something like that. So you were mentioning that you kind of recommend that the FDA start allowing clinical studies to open up instead of just having an outright ban. Could you just describe briefly what those clinical studies would focus on and how they'd work? Adults who use in vitro fertilization that to have a child if they are having difficulties typically have multiple eggs that they're using. So if they have one that works, they will typically donate the rest to science. So CRISPR clinical trials would begin with those kind of embryos that would have no other use except for science. So they would start there and then try to, I guess, genetically modify a certain part of it, assuming that there would be an issue with the embryo. Okay, so it'd be kind of like leftover in vitro fertilization that would then be like kind of tested on, but never really brought to term or anything like that, just kind of to see what CRISPR does. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Anyway, Katie, thank you so much for coming on. And this was short notice and a little bit of difficulty, but I really, really appreciate it, especially for a topic I think as cool as CRISPR. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Contested. If you like what you heard, please visit our website at contestedpolitics.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play. I know we had taken a few weeks off, but we're really excited to be back and we're looking to produce some really interesting content that is both relevant and unique. So stay tuned for later episodes. And as always, shout out to Adam Hussein for doing all the work behind the scenes. And until next time, Thank you for helping us understand politics together.